the conference board is their economists are saying that we could get a mild recession at the end of this year, the beginning of next year, and we'll come right back out of it. I think that's a possibility. It'll be a technical recession. Why are we why are we talking about this so much? Because long term, we see no evidence anywhere in any leading economic indicator or in anything else that we are in decline. Right. The economy we, is not in a secular decline. We the don't market see is bad not health. in a secular decline. What we're seeing is healthy. There's yeah. not sickness here. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to an exciting second hour, as at least as exciting as the first one, where we discuss such things as these statistical aberrations amongst bears and bulls, and um, whether or not the uh, inflation or the economy had any reference to the inverted yield curve and vice versa. So at least as interesting as that stuff. Ah. Mm. Some people find that stuff very interesting and hmm, most don't. And whether or not we're in a secular bull while we're in a cyclical bear. Yes. Um, Outside of a dog. Both at the same time. Outside of a dog. Right. A book as a man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. Right. That's exactly right. Yes. Well, the um, conference board, who is, there, who is the organization that comes out with the leading economic indicators, their economists are saying that they don't expect growth in the economy in the third quarter. They expect it to be flat. and Which is essentially econ- what happened in the first two quarters. Right. They were slightly negative in the first two quarters. The uh, year-over-year change is what they're talking about. Right. The, the uh, leading economic indicators year over year are in essence at zero. Now, does that mean we're having that? That is a warning that the possibility exists that in the next few months, we could get an indicator of a recession. Um, But back in 2016, we had the leading economic indicators year over year hit zero and stay there for most of a year. And then we didn't have a recession. Right. Uh, It happened. It wasn't in, we, we got near to zero in 2012 and 2013 and we didn't get a recession. In 2003, they went near to zero, and we didn't get a recession. Um, normally, in a cyclical recession, which is the kind that we would be coming into in this case, not not we had an unusual recession in 2020 because it was not caused by anything in the economy. It was caused by a pandemic. It's that simple. Um, and the lockdowns that, that were associated with it. But what we get is... Plenty of advanced warning from leading even the in the coincident indicators, the the ones that like like I was talking about the earnings of, of Walmart and the number of people going in and out of the door at Walmart and the number of trucks going up and down the highway tend to drop just before a recession. The conference board is their economists are saying that we could get a mild recession at the end of this year, the beginning of next year, and we'll come right back out of it. I think that's a possibility. It'll be a technical recession. Why are we, why are we talking about this so much? Because long-term, we see no evidence anywhere in any leading economic indicator or in anything else that we are in decline. Right. The economy we, is not in a secular decline. We the don't market see is bad not health. in a secular decline. What we're seeing is healthy there's yeah. not sickness here. 
And that is that is the critical thing if you're a long-term investor. What is the long-term outlook for what we're seeing? Frankly, I hate to say this because I could be jinxing myself here. We're in the roaring 20s. I, we are in I tend to agree with that. When the profits and the benefits of the digital revolution come home and they will i think in the in this decade produce a surge in the economy that will be pretty amazing and is pretty amazing at this point uh, if we look around there's some other big major macro issues going on at the same time that we need to pay attention to um that are going to counter that and that are going to in some case I use my big word for the day, exacerbate that, but it's something to keep an eye on. It's something to be aware of the world in a very large scale from the perspective of living in the United States couldn't get much better, but it will. I know that sounds really backwards. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to imagine the world getting much better, but it is getting much better. We are getting far more productive. We, I realize that the official productivity numbers are down a little bit right now, but all I got to say is you have the ability to be communicated with and to communicate far more thoroughly and efficiently than we have ever had in history. Things have speeded up dramatically. That is productivity. Uh, and I agree with that. That's just come out to say when we're looking ahead, we're talking about this is healthy. It's rough because we're we've been going full speed and now friction is slowing us down. That's not pleasant no matter what the vehicle you're in. Uh, friction slowing down our ability to go forward faster than we already are. So our growth is slowing. We're still hiring people. There's still a lot of health, a lot of health in the economy, good stuff. Looking ahead, the things that are giving us friction right now look to be pretty temporary. Um, when we look at technology, and we talked about this last hour about secular versus cyclical, if we look at new technology that's coming online as we speak, the efficiency of shipping or trucking, and I know a lot of people expect me to immediately jump into electric vehicles and they go, oh, Jake, he's going back there. There's a new diesel truck engine, the last that is set to be developed by one of the major diesel truck engine manufacturers out there that's about 15% more efficient than the top-of-the-line diesel truck right now, which is a massive savings over a three-year period on diesel prices. Well, then why is this set to be their last diesel truck engine? Because they already know how to make an electric motor that's more efficient for less money. So there's a massive change already beginning. And when you see a 15% drop in, in prices for uh, what is being spent on diesel fuel, a 15% improved efficiency there, a massive drop in price over a long-term period. And that's still not as much as the next wave of, of technology that we already know is coming. What does that mean for prices that are being held back because of prices of diesel? What does that mean for prices that are being held back because trucks getting from one place to another are difficult when we're moving into driverless trucks? And I know this is not stuff that's absolutely ready for the market yet, but we are already past the prototype stage. They're already into the retooling of their manufacturing lines at major companies 
to say this this is where we're going and it's already more efficient than the most efficient we had before. This is kind of like when tube televisions were replaced by flat screens. Uh, you wanted to add something? I got a question. Okay. That came in and I wanted to address it. Oh, what what is it? I haven't seen it yet. It's from Dave. It says, please discuss inflation and how it affects in fixed income retired investors. For example, he said, for instance, if a person is living on returns from the retirement nest egg and withdrawing 4% plus 1% management fees plus 8% inflation, totals a 13% reduction per year. Good question. If annual returns on the investment is less than 1% as it has been, won't a person run out of money can, far sooner? Can you expected? slow down? I, that, most of that question, I was trying to catch up with you. Okay. Just, Basically, if inflation is running at 8%, He's saying, and he's withdrawing 4% from his investment portfolio. And there's 1% in management fee. That's a reduction in value of 13%. And if the uh, annual returns on the investment is less than 1%, won't that person run out of money sooner than expected? Well, I don't know that they'd run out of money any sooner than they expected, but they're going to run out of money because if you're taking, let's just start from zero. If your investment return is 1%, well, this is a long-term return we're talking about, not what's happened in the last 12 months. He didn't say long or short-term. If your okay. investment return over the long-term is less than 1%, meaning it was in the bank, apparently, yeah, you're going to run out of money. Now, whether you, now here's a couple of points. First off, the, flat, the fact that the consumer price index is up 8% doesn't mean your cost of living is up 8%. The thing that you have to do to figure out what that really means to you or to anyone, is to say, how much did I spend a year ago in a given month or over a six-month period? And how much did I spend this year over that six-month period? And if you're still spending the same amount of money, you did not experience inflation. Now, that doesn't say that the price of gasoline didn't go up and the price of some foods went up, but people and economists have noted for over the years again and again and again, particularly retired people, tend to change their behaviors as prices change. For example, traveling less when fuel right. prices are up. And by the way, one of the reasons I was going to, I mentioned that at the beginning of the hour, I was going to say something about this. One of the reasons the price of oil has come down from significantly from its peaks in the late spring is because Americans are driving less and we're using less gasoline. Why are we using less gasoline? Right, there's two very good reasons. One, it's really hot outside. And two, the price of fuel went up, so people decided not to buy so much fuel. Even if you People look, do that. If you look back at last year and the year before, so we're talking about in 2020, a lot less fuel was used. 2021, more fuel was lose, used than 2020, but way less than mm -hmm. prior years. And yeah, then 2022, yeah. we're staying on track for that. We're not using as much gasoline as we used to. Just we're not. And that and, there's a there's a lot of reasons for that, but that is certainly affecting how how much we spend on things. Go ahead, back to but you. The other thing is a big piece and we and we talk about this in the newsletter. We, don't, we haven't talked about it a lot on the year, but it's true. A big piece of the consumer price index is the rental value of your house. Now, has your rent gone up on your house? No. And you say, wait a minute, I'm not renting my house. In, in fact, many cases, I'm in retirement. People have You've already had it paid off. Yeah. The, the cost of living in your house hasn't gone up. So you're not experiencing the, the actual CPI number that gets reported, the consumer price index number, is for urban workers. 
That means you have a job, you're in a city, and you work in an office. If you're, if you're not a person who has a job in a big city and works in an office, then by definition, it doesn't apply to you. Now, you, a different rate does, and that's not saying inflation isn't occurring. That's, it's happening. It's just different right. for everyone. How so much you drive at high prices is different if you have a job that is driving, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> a little over a year ago, I owned a three-quarter ton diesel pickup truck, and it pulled an Airstream trailer. I sold the three-quarter ton diesel pickup truck and the trailer it very nicely, by the way. And now I own a Subaru Forester. What do you think has happened to my cost of fuel over the last year? <laughs> uh, it's gone down tremendously. So is my cost of payments on things. Uh, we are buying food very differently than we bought food before the pandemic or during the pandemic. Um, and, and I, I won't go into too much detail, but we basically found a way to buy some things less expensively, and we have done so, and we're eating very well and very happy with it. Um, so my personal inflation has not gone up significantly over the last year, despite the fact that technically inflation went up 8%. Now, let me... let me. Can we go back, back me, to the question? I need to back into this. Yeah, good. Because okay. it was instigated from a question. I wanted to get back into it. Okay, go ahead. Here's the point. Over the long term, this is academics, over the long term, a balanced investment portfolio, and let me not go into what a balanced investment portfolio is exactly. After expenses in inflation, it's been shown that in a worse, pretty much worst case scenario, like just before a major market crash, you started retirement, and you said, I'm going to take out whatever balance I have at retirement, I'm going to take out 4% a year and increase it with the CPI every year thereafter has been sustainable. Now, there's been some argument against that that said, no, maybe you should lower that a percentage. But the other side of that equation, the other side of those academic studies that's come out more recently is that in retirement, people do not see their cost of living go up as fast as inflation. They do not increase their spending as fast as inflation. So what happens to people in retirement is they tend to raise their spending at about half the rate of long-term inflation. Now, what I mean long-term inflation, let's just say that long-term inflation is two and a half percent because we think that's probably what it's going to be. Uh, historically, it's been uh, for the last 50 years half. about three and a half percent. Right. right. So, so let's, so you could, okay, we can even say three, but if let's say inflation is 3%, but your re, your personal inflation is maybe one and a half percent. And, but as you, as you age, you tend to slow down and spend less money too. So it all boils down to the fact that unless we have runaway inflation over an extended period of time, a person in retirement generally doesn't spend a lot more money than they spent before, than the year before or the year before. It really boils down to, and we, we tell people this, as a rule of thumb, if you're doing a 4% withdrawal per year from a well-balanced, diversified investment portfolio, academic studies have suggested that you're probably in pretty good shape. Now, there's a lot of caveats I need to throw in here. What is well-balanced? What's diversified? What are your expenses? And there's a whole wealth 
of data that needs to go into that to give you a precise example and a precise answer. Suffice to say that the academic studies suggest that a well-balanced portfolio, well-diversified in U.S. equities and fixed income, a 4% withdrawal rate has been sustainable over the long period of time. That's I'm just simply saying the academic studies say that I'm, I want to clearly caveat here. You can screw that one up really easily by making some wrong choices. Right. And, and to kind of take a step back from the question, because there's a lot of figures that were put together in the question, withdrawing 4%, there's a management fee of 1%, there's a big inflation of 8%. Isn't that like, isn't inflation of 8% a withdrawal from the portfolio? Just one more thing is that the last year, his return has been about a percent as it has been. And I'm guessing it's been the last year. Like mm-hmm. We could look deeper, but about a 1% return. Well, in these well-balanced portfolios where it's a good idea or sustainably historical idea to take 4%, the long-term returns haven't been 1%. That would get rid of the money. Yeah. And more importantly, this is a question, and so this is rather than going into the intricate detail of what percentage and what amount came out of a portfolio, let's look at something from a much more conceptual angle. People ask me often, more often lately than has been in the last decade, what's the best vehicle to combat inflation with? And there's a lot of answers to that. It depends on what you're trying to accomplish. For short term, it's probably something from the treasury inflation-protected uh, securities or a series I bond. But for long term, that's there's something that's been the absolute best asset class to protect against inflation long term. And that's ownership in profitable companies because they change their prices and their to, to maintain profitability in inflation and deflation. Does that mean companies don't go bankrupt? No. You're being well diversified is owning a bunch of them. But that comes back to very clearly, this is the asset class that has been the most consistent in being a hedge against inflation. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. A lot of times, they're the ones that are most hurt when inflation is occurring. But then they are also the ones that are making the changes fastest to fight that because their goal is to have positive earnings, to actually be profitable. I know that's kind of different than the question, but that's why we would expect what we've seen historically, that for-profit institutions tend to weather inflation fairly well over the long time, long term. Yes. Okay, I got something. Here's, here's the way to determine personally in your own life and anybody who has a retirement portfolio. Look at, how, look at your compound net average annual rate of return for the last 10 years. You should have that on your radar a lot. A 10-year number. 10-year. And if right now in a bear market, your withdrawal rate is 4% and your net return in your investment portfolio is above 5% for the last 10 years, then you probably have more money now than you had 10 years ago. Inflation over the last 10 years has run just over 1%. So if you're, whatever amount you're taking out, and I'm being very conservative and very general here, but if after your withdrawals over the last 10 years, you still have as much buying power as you had 10 years ago. You're probably in pretty good shape. We're in a bear market. Now, this obviously is not directed at new investors. This isn't, this is because they're new investors. You're seeing maybe for the first time 
you probably missed it in 2020, but maybe for the first time, a real downturn in the market. The one in 2020 was there and it disappeared very quickly. The market returns just skyrocketed after that. So people just felt like that was a bad dream. They're not used to having a downturn that lasts more than a week. Uh, so being in a position where these younger investors, they're experiencing inflation very differently as well. They're experiencing it directly. They're driving their car to and from work a lot more than they were last year because they were working remotely. Their rent's just gone up. They, their uh, food prices are all up and they're making less money. So all of or less money than the than the retirees generally. But they're making more money than they were last year at a significant rate. And this is one of those weird things that's part of all of the components that we're talking about. Wages have been rising slower than inflation. But if you compare the two, when you're not in retirement, you get kind of, with wages increased and spending and so on, you get kind of the same reduced inflation rate. If your wages went up 6%, but inflation went up 8%, what did you experience? Well, you experienced a benefit because a big chunk of what your earnings went toward wasn't changing every moment. Your rent didn't go up every month. It went up when your contract did. So each person experiences inflation completely different than every other person. It's just, that's the way it is. Uh, when I talk about, well, inflation's not so bad, and somebody says, well, I'm on a fixed, fixed income. I don't have a nest egg. I'm on a pension. That pension doesn't have cost of living increases. It's a fixed number. And one place that that is very common to see is the Texas Teachers Retirement System. If you're on a fixed income, it is not, I mean, they have adjusted for cost of living several times. They don't have to. So if you're looking ahead and saying, I'm going to have exactly the same amount coming in next year as I did this year and inflation's going up, you're experiencing inflation far differently than somebody taking a 4% draw on a nest egg or someone sitting in an office that has to drive to work every day. Uh, it, all of them are valid. <laughs> all of them are real. And we start talking about in aggregate, I have a thing I like to say uh, that I got from an older bald guy that joined the, me on this radio program. Uh, if you've got one foot in boiling water and one foot in dry ice, your foot temperature on average might be perfectly normal. That does not make you comfortable. So when we're looking at the big numbers out there, we also have to recognize that the stock market is down. That's a leading indicator as well. The stock market goes down before recessions Every time we've ever had a recession, it's been led by the stock market. But the stock market's been down a lot more times than we've had recessions. So when we're trying to gauge health in the economy, what we're seeing on the whole is very positive. But there's a lot of little knots of pain. A lot of those knots are concentrated in the most lucrative of areas over the last five years in technology. That pain is very real if you're in that knot. Us talking about, yeah, the economy looks great. You might have already changed the channel because it doesn't represent where you are. This is something we've got to look at this on the big picture. We're talking about the health of the human body that is representing the United States economy. But that doesn't mean that there isn't 
a bad hangnail or the right hand of a right-handed person has some injuries on the finger. Will they continue? Will the whole body continue to function almost the same? Yes, but if you're the right index finger, you're not feeling so well right now, and you're pretty important for the rest of us. It may not slow us all down, but it sure works better when you're healthy. I know that was an intense set of metaphorical shifts, but I think it's a good way of looking at this. We've got some problems in the economy, but they they appear to be temporary and already healing. There, um, just as a matter of course, we when we do financial planning assume a future average inflation rate of two and a half percent. I don't know whether that has any validity in your lives or not, but we always we plug in a two and a half percent future inflation rate. I mean, it's and so far it's worked pretty well. Matter of fact, that I just looked at our last uh, last ten years and twenty years, and apparently the inflation rate's been two point four nine percent. So I guess we were making pretty good guesses. Back then. We were we were geniuses, or either that, or we came to this number and said, "Yeah, that seems about right." And what the objective of reading about pension funds and reading about people who manage pension funds? Their objective is inflation plus four percent. Uh, we've talked about a lot of stuff. Um, one of the things that's popping up in scandals lately at different places is um, the SEC is cracking down across the market, across the world of finance, on conversations that are supposed to be kept in secure locations and easy to view, being done on WhatsApp and other services or directly through texting. So you see a lot of these scandals on insider trading stuff where they're hiding their communication. And I'm kind of pointing at this because this is a thing that as an investor, we all look at that and say, that's a pretty good idea to make sure that they're keeping records of everything that they're doing. And at the same time, there's a big political kerfluffle on record keeping from former presidents and whether or not some did and some didn't and so on. I think it's important in positions of great trust that people have a clear record of what they're communicating and why they're communicating it. Uh, if it's someone that's managing money or someone who's in a position where they can profit from other trusting individuals without them knowing it, we got to hang on to those records and they've got to be very clear. Uh, that's, I'm just seeing a lot of that in the SEC stuff these days that make sure that if you're handling other people's assets, that you're not doing it below the table. Just <laughs> how, well, how I got to underline that 12 times. I am, I was frankly astonished when I saw these 200 million per bank. It, and by the way, it adds up to a billion dollars of the SEC and the, and the uh, Futures Trading Commission are fining these broker-dealer banks. Uh, just was mind-boggling because it was made abundantly clear. It, the SEC has made it abundantly clear. You don't conduct business in a securities firm other than on official channels where records are being kept, period. We will hang you in a tree for doing that. It's kind of like having a, a casino not tell the gaming commission how they're making their games work. Um, yeah, well, yeah, we, we know we're not allowed to make them lose every time, but it's more profitable if we do. <laughs> I mean, not that it's fair, even the statistics that gaming commissions give to casinos, but at least you've got to keep that stuff 
in recorded form. The Gaming Commission gets to come and look at that. If you're managing people's money and that's how your profitability is, you've got to keep those records secure. It doesn't mean the public gets to look at them. It does mean when an investigation occurs, you're going to have to prove it to show what's going on. One of the things to look at in that article, and I won't list them right here, is to look at the banks that got fined. When they say banks, that's investment banks. And when they say like basically major broker dealers, and then look at the ones who didn't, who weren't on the list. They didn't get in trouble. Doesn't mean they didn't do it. It means they didn't get caught or maybe they they didn't do it. They they did a sweep of all the major broker dealers in the United States, uh, all the ones that handle a lot of money for a lot of people. And they'll now, the, the article I read said they will now go to the smaller organizations that handle money for people and they will start working their way down and say, are you doing what we told you to do and avoiding what we told you absolutely not to do and expect to get hit with some big fines if you fail to do what we told you to do and didn't and, and failed to avoid what we told you not to do. Um, I think that it's it's important if you have and the reason I say that, the article indicated that the the blatant disregard for SEC rules was at every level in the organizations. That's why they got hit with such big fines. All the way up and down through the organization, including the supervisors, they were blatantly disregarding the rules and having communications off the books. Mm, I... I guess I'm geeky. I guess there's something wrong with this. What? I just can't even imagine that going on. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, by the way, I did. A, I looked at, went to the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the Consumer Price Index for All Urban Consumers, CPIU. And it's between 2.4 and 2.2% over the last 10 years. Depending right. on whether you look at the first half or second half. Right. So, so that's the average. Just for the, just for the record. Which just there, means that everyone that is alive in the United States and doing anything that's part of society at all, uh, rather than living on a farm and eating 100% what you grow and hunt, has experienced inflation in a way that they haven't in a long time. Well, 2.2% is pretty low. That's what I'm saying. Right now, they're experiencing something that is far different than what they are used to for a long time. This is why it's a big shock. And those of those of you that remember the last time are not as shocked by this, but you have a feeling of dread that it will continue forever like it did the last big time it was this high, that it felt like it was forever. It was a long time, and we're already seeing what appears to be the peak in the growth rate of it, where the last time this occurred, it peaked out in the in the low 20% range. It looks like we're peaked out in the in the mid 8% range. Hopefully we see that reducing, but that leads it to to another quick thing. I do expect the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates again by three quarters of a point next time they meet. And Dave, thanks just for our answer, by the way. Oh, well, you're welcome, Dave. Thank you for listening. It, it seems and, like more of a cost to you than to us. <laughs> we, um, we spend a lot of time worrying about inflation uh, and, and worrying about and looking at long-term trends and whether we think it's going to be severe over the long term. We also spend, if you've listened to us for a long time, worrying about deflation. And we're about out of time. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake McClure. Uh, This is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs. 
we are uh, a a finance program, as you would probably guess from the personal wealth coach being our title. The personal wealth coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is a professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program here uh, on this st- in, on this station, 1400 AM in Temple, since 1996. We've been doing this a long time, and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also Man. have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think right. uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's generally and portfolio management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at two, five, four, nine, four, seven, 11, 11. You can reach that line tool free at one, eight hundred nine, one, four, seven, five, two, six. That's eight hundred nine, fourteen plan. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.